this is Sergey Ram Show. It's back with episode number two, where we will be talking about staff augmentation. Ram, thanks for coming. And uh, first question I have for you is: staff augmentation is quite ambiguous. What is it? Why? Uh, why do we need it? Yeah, well, it is an ambiguous answer I will give, but I'll try to be as uh, detailed around it. So, in a very kind of basic uh, explanation, staff augmentation is a concept where you take, you know, individuals like a product manager, a developer, a designer, and um, a company can hire those people uh, and make them part of their team. It's basically they uh, become an embedded uh, team member within their own organization, within their own product process. Um, you're basically, the concept is you're augmenting out to their team. Uh, and it's beneficial in circumstances when you have a big project you need to get done, you need to bring on extra resources, you um, look for an agency that has maybe available capacity and you know you staff augment out their team members into your own organization so that you could better hit your objectives or your goals for like the sprint or the project. How does integration work in that in that way with when the new members are coming into a project and maybe it's different when a project is early in its development versus it's in midway or close to being done? Yeah, so some of the things you should look for is like their skill sets. Do they have experience working in your specific product in your industry? Uh, if it's somebody on the development side, do they have the tech stack experience that your existing team is already working on? So like, for example, if your team is working primarily in JavaScript and the f developer you're considering for staff augmentation only has experience in PHP, not a good fit, right? Because they won't know how yeah. to help. Um, some other things to kind of look out for is like, can they be a good fit for the team, right? Like I know it sounds you know, a bit crazy, like you're kind of just like renting somebody, you know, via this augmentation, yeah. but ultimately they should be still a good team player. Uh, they should be somebody who can adopt well and learn quick on, on, in the company because they're coming in probably fresh, don't know a lot about the company. So you got to think of them being in a very accelerated onboarding process. So ways to help them you know, land on their feet properly is having a great, great documentation, having a great uh, process in place in terms of how you onboard, you know, even internal team members to a project. What are things that they should know? What are things that they should not do? All these kind of things like in a typical thing, you should consider the same thing for anybody that you bring in under a staff augmentation model. How do you test for a team fit? when you're hiring for staff augment because it does sound to me at least that it's a little bit more less rigid than the normal interview when you hire somebody full-time like how do you actually what's the best way to look for somebody that is not crazy and would, would collaborate with others well yes obviously uh, uh you want to get somebody who's you know going to be complementing your team instead of being a blocker obviously um good places to start is like references um asking people if you know asking the agency or whoever you know can i speak to some of the references on these other projects that they worked on 
Uh, what were those projects they worked on? Can you show me the portfolio? Uh, you should be able to tell like quality of work based off of that. And uh, specifically around what did they exactly do on those projects? Like, did yeah. they do, if it's a designer, did they do the discovery for it? Did they do some of the market reaches, the UX for it? Or did they just do the wireframes? Then if they just did wireframes really well, then maybe they're just, that's what I would use them for. Um, other things are communication. So uh, are they good communicators? Are there language barriers? I'm going to be working with these people. You know, can I understand what they're trying to communicate and vice versa? Um, time zone considerations. Uh, you know, in situations I know in the past, not with us, but with other people who use staff augmentation, if they're like North American, you mm -hmm. know, if the client's North American and, uh, you know, they hire staff, uh, st staff, uh, staff augmentation uh, offshore in like, you know, India, Pakistan, or, you know, that side of the world, communication and time zone differences are a challenge. So, um, you know, you want to ideally work with somebody in your own time zone, preferably if you're working with them on some specific, or, you know, very detail oriented, maybe project just so that you have a lot of time with them at the beginning so that you could explain things online. to them online versus just then working, you know, if there's like a big six to 10 hour time zone difference, like your ability to overlap is small. Um, yeah, I think those are some of the main things I would say. Where, why companies come to Crowdlinker, to our company, to do staff augment, augmentation? What are the main uh, use cases that uh, we've been helping them with so far? Yeah, so the two predominant ones that we uh, work, do staff augmentation for is for enterprises and for scale-ups. So I'll start with the scale-ups one first because... Um, and how do you define scale-up? Like what, what is a scale? Yeah, sure. So scale up is a company that I would say has found product market fit and maybe received some funding, like a series A round of funding. And they have very ambitious goals that they have to hit in the next six to 12 months, if not longer. Um, and they're growing quickly, but they still can't like hire quickly enough. Um, or, or the other thing is, um, they're hiring, but it's going to still take them time to find internal people uh, for these roles. Um, and, you know, they would work with a partner who already has an experienced team to come in. So that's kind of like the way I would define a scale up. So it's like a, a company that's got a specific, you know, problem that they've found and just need to move fast. Um, so staff augmentation works well for those because we have a very senior experienced team. We come in, we plug and play, we embed into the organizations. We kind of data dump everything in terms of where they are right now in their product. And then we uh, partake in, you know, all aspects of the product process from sprints to standups and, you know, everything as if we were an internal team member so that we could start contributing from like day one. There might be an initial ramp up period, but, you know, we, st we typically contribute pretty fast. Um, with enterprises, um, kind of similar, uh, use case. So in specific examples, you know, that we've done, uh, staff augmentation for an enterprise, like we actually are the product team for them and enterprises typically sometimes have more budgets or more burn rate per month. 
and you know if it's an innov- if uh, there's an innovation project that's coming in i got funding um instead of maybe hiring internally for that entire role uh you know you don't know the success or failure of that potential project uh so early on so with enterprises we typically come in we work with a product owner product owner is one who captures all the business requirements like what is the what's the what are we trying to achieve and then under a staff org format in in those situations we basically put a whole team together from like product managers scrum masters designers engineers and we act as like you know the mvp team um uh for for those projects and then if we launch as successful then two things might happen one is we get extended runway we keep working on the project or they have the justification then to hire a team internally uh with like the track record we were able to demonstrate and the validation of the product and then they take it in house and then what we offer the, right what about the scale up part for those startups that are pushing uh fast uh, series a and they are scaling uh, what roles do we generally can help them with designers engineers like which ones do we no- normally uh, they would be asking for um, or is it very much case by case basis it's mixed sometimes it could be like only engineers sometimes it could be a product manager and engineers if the design's already done for example um, most often than not it is like a product manager a designer and maybe two developers uh who are working on maybe a specific feature or a specific you know complementary product to what the internal core teams already working on right how do we structure the contract for stock augmentation is there any specifics that you should pay attention to uh when those guys are getting on board or when we get hired as as stock augmentation team or it's pretty standard uh, as to a normal uh, normal enterprise style type of uh, hire So we have two two models now. One is just a pure time and materials model. There's an hourly rate. We charge for the time, whatever it is. Um we kind of invoice every two weeks uh based on the hours logged for that two week sprint. Uh the model that we have new that we're uh working with now is a squad model. So you bring on X amount of people, so from 3 to 9 squad members and it's not time of materials it's a fixed cost per month um and the fixed cost per month gives you know the client and us kind of a surety in terms of okay we know the team's allocated uh the client knows that there's a fixed cost for the month and that the client can use this team whatever way they want it's basically like an in-house team uh and um there's no variability or, or like potential for unknowns that might come up in terms of like the billing. Yeah, I think it's probably easier to uh, on a nego- negotiation front as well because there's always a discussion around the hours, is this enough not enough and uh, yeah. also uh, ambiguity on the project where um, we thought this would be this way and then or client said it's going to be this way we found out that we need 300 plus more hours yeah. uh, back to negotiation. Yeah, exactly. And so the squad model typically resolves those things because it's like um you know, there's a fixed cost the team's working on ensuring the deliverables are always being met. They're full time on the project. Um there's no concept of like 
oh, well, I'm going to need, you know, we need an extra 300 hours because it's not based on hours. But in terms of the output, how is it uh, different? Is it still, there's still, obviously, you're still discussing the, the certain output that's going to be delivered, but it's just a different way of getting that. Yeah, that's right. Like, we're right. not, uh, we still work in sprints, obviously, uh, in two-week sprints. Um, but the difference is ultimately in a time of materials model, if we say forecast out a team in a sprint and it's a hundred hours and in that sprint, we ended up doing 200 hours of work. There's a hundred hour variance. So then there could be like some discontent around like that overage of the variance. Whereas in a fixed cost model, there is not, nothing like that. Yeah. What about the prices? Uh, we speak to clients, they always want to ask, how much, how much does this cost? Uh, ooh, but uh, luckily, we are talking about staff augmentation, which is a little bit easier to uh, give, a, give a price range on versus uh, building a website or building a mobile app, which uh, has a billion of different var variables. With regards to staff augmentation, where, is, where are we on the market cost, price, uh, and how do, how, do we, how do we do that? Yeah, good question. Um, so under a time of materials model, uh, we charge at 130 US per hour. Uh, if it's under a squad model, it's 15,000 per month per person. So that works out to being approximately $90 an hour. So there's quite a bit of cost savings if you look at it that way. Uh, but the benefit is, uh, well, for us, for example, as like the agency, we have a fully allocated team, right? It's more predictable. It's more predictable for us. And we have certainty that they're working on things and that there's enough work for them to do. Squad model is really great for um, longer term kind of projects, a few months long, whereas time and materials is good for open-ended, shorter term projects. And for 15,000 a month, that means 40 hours, roughly 38, 35 yeah. hours a week. Yes. Approximately, right. yeah, 35 right. to 40 hours, yeah. This makes sense, makes perfect sense. Uh, okay, well, there's something else I wanted to ask you around, was about, obviously, uh, how do you pick the digital product studio, development studio, if you decide to go, for example, with staff augmentation uh, model, uh, what do you look for? And uh, obviously, people who are looking for that will read all the reviews, they'll probably reach out to their people, uh, to uh, their friends, their colleagues on LinkedIn or uh, email. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll get all of that. They'll look at the prices, they'll look at the, the track record. Um, that is understandable. Is there, what, what else do you think makes a big difference in picking the right uh, studio to go with? Yeah, so just like the idea of a product studio um, is, when you hire a product studio or the purpose of one is that they're supposed to have um, the experience where they could take a, an idea, uh, pre-validation, pre-revenue, pre-users, um, go to market, test it out, validate it, do customer development, all that kind of stuff, and then come back with like a plan where it's like, okay, here are our learnings, here's what we found, Here's what are things you should consider, uh, you know, having a very detailed go to market plan, even as well prepared, uh, as well as like a product requirements document of what we hope to build. Um, 
And that's honestly, in many ways, that's the hardest part of what we do because that's like where the strategy part comes in. That's the it's all product strategy and consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where product studios are quite different than dev agencies or digital agencies for that matter because they don't do those type of services. Uh, a product studio's objective is to go and see is there viability, feasibility, and desirability in building out whatever you seek to do or not. Versus, um, uh, versus just go and build it. Versus just going and building it. Yeah, because there, there's a lot of people who just go and build something and they don't test out anything along the way. They don't do even user testing. Uh, and they go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and take something to market and say crickets. And, you know, mm. you have a failed launch. And sometimes you only have one chance to really, you know, launch. Um, so a product studio's objective is really to try to do risk aversion, diversion, risk aversion. Diversion. Uh, diversion. diversion yeah. So that we mitigate the risk and the cost associated for you b- to build a product in today's market. Uh, so that you have a more successful launch. Um, and we do that through like a multitude of different activities and methodologies that we've created over the last 10 years. Um, post that point where we know what we're doing and we know how we're doing it, the rest around like the UX, the UI becomes a lot smoother and a lot simpler because we know what our goal is that we're trying to achieve. And then the development part is more just the, the delivery, the execution side. So a dev agency or anybody could do that component. Um, so you're answering your question, how do you select a product studio? Um, I'm going to answer it from the point of like r- indifference, whether it's staff augmentation or not, but like as a product studio definition and explanation that I gave, I think you should look at how they go about thinking through a product creation process. You know, do they do co-creation? Um, you know, have they ex- do they experience doing product-led growth type of products? Because that's where a lot of like the market is really shifting towards product-led growth. Um, do they do continuous discovery? Uh, do they do dual track agile where while you're building, you're still doing discovery? Um, you know, those are some of the things I would look out for. And then obviously like their portfolio, like does it, s- does it speak for itself? Do they have enough experience in that industry or vertical that, you're, that your business is in? Do the references check out? Um, make sure that you are able to speak to the team that you're going to be working with before kickoff and before you sign any contracts. Um, look at their backgrounds, look at their experiences, um, look at their strengths, weaknesses. It's always great to be transparent and saying we even might have weaknesses that we'll present to the client so that they're aware. And then if the client has things that they're also strong and weak at we want to know what those are so that we could either figure out a way to solve for those gaps if they don't have it internally um uh so yeah those are just some of the factors i would look for but there's there is um an onboarding period with any type of new project and like a honeymoon phase right so you know you typically get to know pretty quickly whether or not the product studio that you hire is good or not based on how prepped and how ready they are coming into say the kickoff meeting or what are some of the questions they ask even during the sales process uh do they have a good playbook uh around you know how they do each part of the activities through the different 
phases and stages of the product creation process. Those are some just so those are just some of the things I would look for. If somebody answers the phone after a sale, it's usually a good sign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well these guys <laughs> these guys there is a team who's able to uh, pick up what, what I've just bought. Oh, what about great points around? What about the fact that um, if you let's say do go with uh, with a studio, let's say you go with a product studio, is there a way to test them out in a certain way? For example, do some small project or do some kind of a pilot project to uh, see if uh, they would be a, a good fit uh, in uh, collaborating for longer term. Yeah, great, great point. I 100% agree. It's uh, a great way to test the waters is do a pilot project, do a proof of concept together. Even if it's not really relevant, you know, directly to what you want to achieve, try to basically um, siphon off, you know, something maybe simpler and see how they would approach it um, to kind of like get a feel for their um, their methods and the way that they work synergies and these synergies and, and stuff that. like that before committing to something much larger um ideally over time once you've built like 60 digital products like we have there should be that vote of confidence i think in terms of like the projects we've done the clients that we worked with where it's a small network at the end of the day you know in, in our community people know a lot of the work that we've done so they're like okay yeah this was good this was this became like a gold standard, so to speak, and what, you know, it was built for. Um, so I would, I would also look at that as a consideration, but I am a big fan of pilots and uh, proof of concepts um, as a way to kind of like test out the relationship. Because at the end of the day, even for us, to be honest, we're getting in bed or getting into a relationship with somebody potentially for a long time. If, if it doesn't bode well, you know, early on for us, then you know, it might not be the ba best experience for us and the team and even for the client. So um, it's expensive and probably might, might not be worth it because reputation is worth a lot. Like you said, small community, everybody knows each other. Uh, if uh, too many projects, uh, quote unquote, if too many projects are not working out, then, uh, well, maybe it's not the, 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 the best way forward. Exactly. Uh, Rob, well, this, uh, this was great. Thank you for uh, these things. And uh, thank you guys for listening. This is a second episode of Sergio Ram Show where we talk about all things product studio, staff augmentation, discovery, and a little bit more about what we do as an agency uh, day to day. Um, and let us know how you like it. We'll be posting it on LinkedIn and all other social media channels. And we'll be back with you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Sergio.